I was thinking as Brandon was sharing announcements and just to announce our children's churches at this time and invite you to go to the back and children, we have a special children's uh, ministry for you at this time. I was thinking, you know, why do we give announcements? Because it's important that as a church, we know that God has called us not only to know some things, but also to do some things. And it's really important that we we see what the church is doing and can do. And it's really important as we want to just kind of share God's goodness as we praise him for that as well. Also, if, if we doubt sometimes that you listen to every word that's spoken up here, we know you don't always read everything we write, we put in the bulletin. And for those who... Uh, who can't read, that's why we put pictures in there as well, so you can, you can look at the pictures. But one of the things I want to share with you, we had a great time uh, uh, last Sunday, and one of the things that happened after, uh, particularly after the first, uh, the second service, is that a number of our people asked, well, can we give a love gift to, to Uncle John or John McDade as he shared his uh, story of redemption uh, uh, set free behind bars? So what we've uh, made available, if you'd like to share a love gift with, it, with uh, John, you can take one of those envelopes or um, any type of envelope or a check, and you write like to Grace Hills Church and uh, put a, mention that's going to go to John McDade or Uncle John, and uh, we'll give him a love gift uh, for last um, for last Sunday. Well, this morning we want to continue our series in the Book of Genesis, and as we do so, um, I don't know. Everybody, stand up just for a moment and say, "I'm ready to learn." All right, you ready? Ready to roll? All right. So now you may sit down. I've entitled the message, the, the Need to Know. And if you were here last Sunday and were hanging on every single word of Uncle John, you might have remembered as he began, he said, you know, when I was growing up, I had a bad case of the I knows. And at first of all, I go, I wonder, what does he mean by that? And then I remember my experience, and I had a kind of a case of that as well, where, where I thought I knew whatever people were saying to me, particularly if they were trying to change my behavior or change my course of direction or either stop doing what I was doing. And my, my initial reaction, well, I know, I know, I know. And there's a lot of ways you can look at that. I was with the family yesterday and we were talking about the experience of people learning to drive and all the things that you were told when you're learning to drive. And particularly for ladies, they say, well, you, you, when you drive, make sure you remember that you sh- this is not a time for you to put on your makeup. Don't put on makeup when you drive. And every girl who ever heard that said, I know, but there's quite a few ladies I've seen on the highway putting on makeup when they're doing that. And it could be anything as far as you all know that you should not be texting when you're driving. I know, I know, I know, but still sometimes you text while you drive or whatever it might be. There's all kinds of things that we need to know. And sometimes our first response to somehow get them to stop telling us that is simply say, I, I know. But it's one thing to know, and this is what John was sharing with that particular statement, is I, I knew it in terms of I had heard it. I'd heard it, and I, I heard it in my mind, but it hadn't really resonated in my heart. And whether it was to, to leave a life of violence or leave a, a life of living for his own pleasures or feeling that he was more invincible than he really was or that the consequences of his actions wouldn't happen, he, he would respond with, I know, I know, I know that bad things can happen even to people who think they're good. And yet he went down a path. Well, this morning, I want to talk about the, the need to know. And, and we as God's people, uh, and whether, wherever you are on that journey, maybe some of you are still on the outside looking in, but if you've made that commitment, there are two things that are mark you. One is the things you know, and the other thing is the things you do. And really, you probably will never do something until you first know what you ought to do or what you ought to be. And this is so true in this book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. 
It's interesting, I was reading this past week, or the last couple of weeks actually, and, and I was reading uh, some comments by Dr. McGee about uh, the Bible. And he said of the, of the Old Testament, the 39 books in the Old Testament, if I was to pick one book I wanted people to know, it would be the book of Genesis. And then he said, in contrast, if you're curious about what he would say about the New Testament, if I were to pick one book in the New Testament that people need to know, I would pick the book of Matthew. But it was interesting to me, as he went on to talk a little bit about Genesis, he said this, if I were to pick one chapter out of the book of Genesis that I wanted people to know, it would be the 17th chapter of the book of Genesis. Now, I've uh, read, studied this book quite a few times, and quite frankly, that probably wouldn't have been the chapter I would have picked, though I understand why he picked it. I probably would have picked probably the first chapter of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, what? God. In the beginning, God. And then you can go on, what God did, he created the heavens and the earth. It all begins right at the beginning. But Genesis 17 is critical in understanding what's next. We heard last week about getting redeemed or God marking a man. But after that very specific encounter that John got in prison, uh, the next day happened and the day after that next day happened. And, And what was he to do now? And one of the things that I had not asked him before, but it kind of came out here was, well, did you pray about God delivering you out of prison when when fairly early in that journey he he brought he was brought back to a relationship with God? And he said, I didn't pray for it for 20 years to be released. Because my life and the importance of my life was not marked where I was, but who I was. And this is true of any person who's ever followed God. It's not what's happening around you. It's who you are when life does happen around you. And that will be marked by you being able to answer. And there is much depth to these two questions. And some of it is answered in this chapter. We're going to see. But it's marked by your ability to answer two questions, not simply in your mind, but in your heart is who is God? And who are you? Who is God? And who are you? Uh, Genesis 17 uh, follows Genesis 16. You are a very bright group. I just love preaching and teaching. You're much sharper. No, I won't say that. Okay. But that is significant because as we think of anything that we read in God's word, usually there's a context. And in Genesis chapter 16, if we take the last verse of that particular chapter, it says, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And you say, that sounds like a genealogy part. What's significant about that? Because as we think of the last verse in Genesis 16 to the first verse in 17, chapter 17, there is a period of time that elapses. Abram is 86 years old at the end of Genesis 16. And then we we flash ahead to another mark in his life. He now he's 99 years of age. And really what I want to say here is that sometimes when we look back at the Bible, we think that that Man, I would have loved to live back there. God's arriving on the scene. He's talking to people. He's throwing up fire. He's parting Red Seas. He's doing all kinds of stuff, man. What an exciting time to be in. We, we think somehow God was talking verbally to them all the time. Well, if, if you read closely and, and pointedly, you'll, you'll find out that God didn't audibly speak to them often. 
And the reality, probably, there was a gap here, probably of 13 years, where Abram didn't hear from God at all. And what he was to do is what we are to do. He was to take what God had already said and live in light of that. And let me tell you, we all need to know that for us today. God has said quite a bit. And we live our lives on what he has already said rather than looking for him to say something new and fresh. I don't know about you, but I haven't applied all this yet. Anybody else in that same boat? Okay. He has said more than I can handle already. And I haven't obeyed everything he's already said. And that's where Abram was. Not only obeyed, but I haven't believed everything yet. And the reason we struggle is because we really don't know our God. And we really don't know at times who we are. Well, we're going to try to see some of that this morning. I'll try to hang a few points in here as uh, we kind of uh, hopefully rapidly, but not too rapidly, see this text. Who is your God? We sang already about some attribute of God. God is the letter A. He is awesome. Now, we're going to see another A word in a moment. We sang about the awesomes of God, but we're going to see God self-reveal himself. Now, we sang that about God this morning. What we're going to see in just a few moments is what God has said about himself. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, 13 years after the birth of his son Ishmael, the Lord appeared to Abram. So now God arrives on the scene. He's not arriving on the scene all the time. And he's got another word for God, for Abram. And the first thing he says, he says about himself. And he says to Abram, I am almighty God. And hopefully for you, in your own heart of hearts, when we ask the question, who is your God? One of the answers to you is he is almighty God. For those of you who are Hebrew or at least know some popular Christian song, it's the El Shaddai. Now, what is that significant about God revealing himself in this way at this point? Because it's been 13 years since God has done anything. And quite frankly, if if God has promised you something and he hasn't come through yet and actually this promise came 25 years before pretty soon you're beginning to doubt whether god can actually come through that he can actually do it i mean where's this child that you promised and he said i want you to know first of all what's most important is not when i do something is remembering who is going to do that something he says i am almighty god now if you and we've all had Different things happened this past week. And I, I, haven't, I haven't been given permission to share some of the things that people have gone through this past week. And every single one of them, God could have chosen not to happen. And yet it did. And, and what you have to do at that moment is decide who is your God. Is your God limited to what you have seen him done recently? Uh, or is he almighty God, the God who is able to do everything that needs to be done? You know, when in Genesis chapter 15, verse one, God, God loves to reveal who he is. There, there was another time in which which Abram was experiencing, maybe not the doubt. Oh, are you going to come through and actually bring a child into my home that you have promised for 25 years? He had had an experience where, where again, he, he had just had a victory and yet now something else was coming up that he was filled with fear. And God says, I am your shield. As we think about the need to know, 
And usually when I went through school and I heard all kinds of information from the person up front, the question always in my mind, is this going to be on the, on the test? You know, do I really need to know this? Is there just kind of information thrown out here? It is the most important thing that we all need to know is who is our God? Is God able to protect us? Is God able to provide for us? Is God more mighty than the problems we're going through? It's interesting, right after that, God now says something not about himself, but he says something to Abram. And he says in verse 1, the latter part of that, he says, Walk me for me and be, what? Blameless. So our God is almighty, but also he is God who changes how I live. Now, this is actually in a statement form, a command form. But really what he's saying, this is, this is what you are to be. You are to be a person who walks with me and a person who ought to live in such a way that if someone could point a finger on you, they they would want to maybe condemn you for something. But as they began to point that finger, they realized, "I, I have nothing to say against them. Now, we know and God knows that we will never live that out perfectly. But what he is saying to us is, I can change who you are on the inside that you live it out differently. You know, how we live does not save us. But how we live will show whether we are saved. And people who walk with God were never the same. And there's so many passages in Scripture that speaks about that. Probably the most familiar one in the New Testament is, uh, for if anyone is in Christ, is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. In First Peter, Peter says that we are to be holy because God is holy. And in the Bible, we've talked about this before, that who we hang around with will, will kind of mark how we live. You know, if we're hanging around God, he's going to mark how we live. We will be different people. And so as Abram was having this next step, he needed to recognize who God is. He's almighty. He's able to do what he's called us to, to do and to be and fulfill his promises. And then he needed to recognize your responsibility is to walk in such a way that people know that you have walked with me, that you are blameless, that your life has taken on a whole different dimension. Some of you weren't here with Uncle John's testimony, and so I'm using an illustration. Some of you go, what in the world are you talking about? But for those of you who are here, you know, man in prison came into a real relationship with God. And all of a sudden, he, he had a different authority in prison because his life was now different. They looked at his character. He, he had changed. There was something about them that they, he could be trusted. And even some of the racial issues changed because here was a man that had walked with God and they knew that he was different. And it wasn't so much about him, it was about his God. But it, his God was the one who was able to make him a changed person. Who was our God? He's the Almighty One. He is the one who changes how we live. Thirdly, Now we'll go a little farther in the passage. He is the God who gives, and I'm the one who humbly receives. Uh, Look at the response, verse 2. And and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face. And that's the idea of humbly responding to God's word and promise. 
And God talked to him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings that shall come for you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after the land after you, the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, I've marked this as far as knowing who your God is. That he is the God who gives, and we are the ones who are to humbly receive. Now, I want to focus on he is the one who gives. Now, what is it he gives? He gives of himself, but the, the, the afterglow of that is he gives us his promises. He actually, he makes a, an agreement with us. And this agreement in the Old Testament is called a covenant. Now, one of the ways to understand what's important, I don't care if you're in a classroom situation or if you're reading some kind of literature or you're listening to a song or whatever, if something is repeated, that's probably pretty what? Important. If a teacher says something once, it could be on the test. They say it twice, probably could be on the test. They say it three or four times. Boy, it's going to be on the test. The word covenant in the book of Genesis is used 17 times. In, the, in, the cha- in Genesis 17 it is used 13 of the 17 times in the entire book. You can go through this. It's got 26 verses, basically 26, there's 27 verses. And, and about half of them, covenant is used there. And the word covenant is, is God literally cutting a deal. He's making a particular promise to us. He said, and, and in this, he's saying, this is what I am going to do. In fact, of the, of the 13 times the word covenant is used in this chapter, nine of the times it's, my covenant, my covenant. This is something I am doing. And we need to recognize as we think about the relationship with God, it's, it's not what we do, it's what God does. And see, that's the uniqueness of Christianity. Every other faith, every other religion, every other journey to God, it's what man does to make himself approved to God. Christianity is unique. It's not us reaching up to God, it's God reaching down to us. And that's explained in his promise, his covenant, his agreement. Our responsibility is to receive his promise, is to believe in his promise, is take hold of that in our own life. Because we are incapable of doing it on our own. And that's why it's interesting enough, when when Abram gave reverence, he bowed his face before God. After he gave reverence, God gave assurance. Because there, there is nothing more fearful than to contemplate what's going to happen when you die and are you going to measure up. If somehow this morning you are, you are wrestling that, am I going to make it? And one of the things that astounds people more than anything else in terms of if you talk about your faith and you kind of get in those questions, you know, what do you think is going to happen when you die? And they say, well, I, I hope I go to heaven. And they say, well, I don't hope to. I know so. Well, no, no one can know. How could anybody know? You think you're so much better than anybody else? No. Well, if you don't think you're anything better than anybody else, then why do you think you're going to heaven? Because God's made a covenant with me. It's about who God is. God promises and I receive. So who is our God? He is almighty. He is the one who changes us. 
He is the one who gives and we receive. He's also one, this kind of ties in, he's the one who makes not just a promise, but an everlasting promise. For those of you, and I hope you all do the Bible studies uh, that we give in the outline every week and in, in a life group. But one of the things we talked about last week, and it was all based on that whole great chapter in the book of Ephesians. And it, it talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Remember that? And it says that the Holy Spirit is our seal. He's our guarantee or guarantor, depending on how you want to read that passage or how it's translated. And in one of our small groups this past week, I was asking, well, what is a guarantee? Well, it's something after you buy a product and they put on maybe a document and say, this will, this will last so long and we will we'll guarantee it. And how long are those, those guarantees usually for? They say usually they're about um, for a period of time that lasts right until um, after or right before your, your product won't work anymore. Have you ever had that? Yeah, this lasts three months. and three months and one day, it won't work anymore. All right? It's one of those kind of things. Well, well, that's not much of a guarantee, isn't it? What I want is a, I want a lifetime guarantee that no matter what happens, if it's not working, I can bring it back and they'll give me a new one. And see, God's promises to us are everlasting. And he goes on. In fact, interesting, I told you the 13 times that's used in this chapter, nine times he used my covenant, my covenant, my covenant. Three of those times, it's everlasting covenant. So he used it three times. So this is a need to know. It's going to be on the test. What kind of promise does God give? He gives everlasting promises. Look at verses uh, nine on for a while. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you every. Now he's going to put a mark on that covenant. This is where you sign the dotted line. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male sh- child in your generations, he who is born in your house or brought w- bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendants. He who is born in your house and he who is brought with, bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be your flesh for an, what kind of covenant? Everlasting forever covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who was not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And basically it means he never entered into my covenant. You can't, you can't have that which you, you don't have. And he said, unless, unless you're willing to come to me, you're not going to have what I can only give. Now, what's so significant, of course, that is, you know, that's the foundation for God's probably most familiar promise for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have partial life you know a long life it's an everlasting life and and, and that life can't be everlasting if somehow you can lose it and you're saying well I, I I'm afraid I'll lose it because I don't always measure up what well, you never measured up I never measured up but when we humbly receive what only God can give, that everlasting covenant, then we can have assurance of being righteous in his eyes. Most of you were in the first service last week that were here uh, with other people as well. And, and it just marked me, and Brandon saw this as well, when, when the choir sang that song, um, Not Guilty. It was right, out, right before that is then uh, John got up and he started crying. Because, you know, he says, 
that was me. I was guilty. And because of Jesus, I'm not guilty. I was unrighteous. Because of Jesus, I'm now righteous. I was lost. But now because of Jesus, I'm found. I was hopeless, but now I have hope. Why? Not because of me, because of Jesus. And so as we look at the need to know, what need, you need to know more than anything else is who is God? Is he bigger than anything you're going through? Is he the one who can change you when you just don't feel you can be changed? Is he the one who gives and, and what you're to do is simply receive humbly? Is he the one who, who comes through not just at times, but his promises are everlasting? Not because of how good we are, because how good God is. And I think this is one of the reasons some authors look at Genesis 17 as such a key passage because as you look at the nation of Israel and how God has preserved them, it's an object lesson for us that God is faithful to his promises. As, as one who said in the United Nations, oh, just in a few moments, years, months, weeks, maybe days, Israel will be just a, a, moment, a momentary blip on the history of mankind. That's not going to happen. Why? Because God is faithful to his promise. And we've seen that through a rebellious people down through the years. And God is able to bring them back. Who is your God? Is he almighty? Does he change you? Does he give you what you need to humbly receive? And he is the one who gives an everlasting promise you can count on. But in this text, we also see the question answered, who are you? And of course, throughout the Bible, this answer is this question and these answers are expanded. But, but who are you? Well, let's look at a few things. Uh, first of all, as we look through the life of Sarah, we, we, we see what we see in so many different places. Uh, who are you? I am one who is blessed. Verse 15, and then God said to Abram, as far as Sarai, your wife, you should not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will, what's the next word there? Bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. What he wanted to mark Sarai with as he changed the name to Sarah is that she is going to be a blessed one. Now, really, in that culture, she felt unblessed because she was childless. And as we look back, she tried to take God's plans into her own hands and get a child through Hagar, messed up everything. Um, and because at that time, she doubted God being almighty God that could come through for her. But what he wanted to know, and even had changed her name, in many ways, when you become a child, God, gave, God changes your name. You're now a Christian. You're now a Christian. And he changed Sarai to Sarah because he wanted to know she was now blessed. She really was a princess in his eyes. There's so much the Bible says about blessing, and we talked about that last week in the study, but one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 1, 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. But it doesn't stop there with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Turn to the person near you and say, I am blessed. I am immensely blessed. I am greatly blessed. You, you can put any adjective you want to it. Is that God wants you to see that you are blessed. Now, if you're on the outside looking in still in the whole experience with Jesus Christ, you are blessed because you are creating God's image. But you can be really blessed. If you become a child of God. But we need to recognize, too, as we think about the blessing of God, that we sometimes wrestle with God. Um, Sometimes we try to do it kind of um, um, with a little grace to it. But we we wrestle with God when he asks us to do what we don't want to do. Look at verse 17. And really what I want to say, who am I? Who are you? I am one who sometimes tries to change God's plans. Have you ever done that? Kind of argue with God, bargain with God, try to get God to do something a little bit differently. Look at, look at Abram, who now be, has become Abram, the father of many nations. Verse 17 says this. Then Abram fell on his face and, and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And, and shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? There's great controversy where that laugh is, or at least there is a variety of opinions, where that, that laugh is a laugh of joy or a laugh of, of unbelief. But he goes on then in verse 18 and says this, And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. What is he saying there? God, I I know you kind of just said this to Sarah, but I've already got a child. His name is Ishmael. Can't he be the one who's going to fulfill that plan that you've announced to me, that covenant you made with me? Now, in in many ways, this seems like a gracious, loving father, that he's saying something about a child of his. But this was not God's plan. And, And often we... We want to change what God has already said. Whether it's in relationship to the child to parent or spouse to spouse. Or even what the, the union of marriage is all about. Or what it means to be a faithful person at work. Serving those who are our employers like we would serve if Christ was our employer. There's all kinds of things that at times we want to play games with God. And even in this political season where, where people have strong political views, the, the most important thing is, is to be a responsible citizen. But even more important than that is after the elections, how will we respond as God's people? Will we still believe that God is on the throne no matter what happens? We are to pray for those in leadership. But sometimes we want to change God's plan. Interesting what happens right after a, that happens is not only does he want to change my plan, but he finally he finally kind of learns a lesson. Hopefully you're this. I am one who listens to what God says. When you want to change God's plans, you know what God's going to say to you? It's going to be a two-letter word. It's the word no. Listen to what he says to, to Abram after he asked for Ishmael to take the role of what he had promised. Then God said no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name 
Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac and whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. So God says, okay, I know you've waited 25 years and it's been 13 years since Ishmael born. Okay, I'm going to finally tell you when I'm going to do it. It's going to happen next year. Then he finished talking with him. And God went up from Abram. You know, there comes a time God will answer to us very definitively. Sometimes that's with an answer of yes, and sometimes the answer is no. And there does come a time where God will say, okay, we've talked about this, and we're not talking about it anymore. I've told you. Isn't that an amazing thing? So then he finished talking with him. You ever come to that experience where you've, you've just pleaded with God, pleaded with God, and, and, and you just come to understanding really what he wants, and yet you still want to persuade him? And God says, look it, I've told you, I'm not telling you again. I'm, I'm not going to talk about this anymore with you. And he left him. Sometimes when God speaks and we listen, then we leave it there. You know the experience of Paul when... Uh, he had that thorn in the flesh, and he prayed to God. He said three times, God, remove this from me. And God said what? No. Even Jesus, as, as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was coming to God, and as an expression of his heart, not his lack of willingness to obey, but God, if it be your will, take this cup from me. And actually, before God, his father, could answer, he said, but not my will be done, but your will be done. He really knew what God's plan was. He was just expressing his heart. It's all right to express our heart. But we don't ever come to that place where we see ourselves different than who we are. God is God and we are not. And God sets the agenda. And when we listen to God, that should be our responsibility. And then respond to his revealed will. I want to close on a, on a positive note in the lesson of Abraham. After he goes through that experience of, of recognizing his wife's going to be blessed, but can he change the plan? And then he begins to listen to God. What does he do next? What he does, he, he trusts God. And how does he trust God? By obeying him. Look at this experience. Verse 23. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born of his house, and all who were uh, bought with him with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day as God had said to him. And what's important is that very same day, Abraham said yes, and he obeyed God. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 14 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Thus, that very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, born in the house or brought with him from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Now, if we had more time, this would be interesting to kind of unpack a little bit. In, in the olden days, and I have a couple of friends of mine from um, my Torrance days, uh, Ron and Debbie Fuqua, who were, who were Wicca um, missionaries. And, and when I was in Torrance, I was a youth pastor and that's when I was young, and, and I remember the very first time I, I uh, 
kind of had a leadership meeting with some of my student leaders and some of my staff, and we were kind of just talking about, hey, what, what, do, what do you think we ought to study as, as a youth group? What do you think we ought to be studying? Some things you, need, you really like to learn and know about it. And this one little girl raised her hand and said, I'd like to study circumcision. <laughs> circumcision? Well, she had no idea what that was, and, and it's a pretty graphic uh, mark that God wanted to put as his, his, his hand on, on the, the nation of Israel and Abraham and those who followed him. And, and um, maybe someday I'll give you a pictorial view of what a circumcision is. But, but is, is, uh, I'm not going to do that. But anyway, is, you know, but what was the point here? It, it's one thing to be circumcised eight days into your life. It's another thing to be circumcised when you're an adult. And when you think about this, this was a this was a statement not just of, this was not just a statement of obedience. This was a statement of trust. We know he had been in a number of dangerous situations before. If you circumcise every male in your tribe, in your family, your extended family, his oikos, they were now left defenseless. There's not going to be a whole lot you're going to do when you get circumcised in that part of your body, guys. When you get cut, basically that word means to be cut. But he said, I, I will trust you, not just religiously, but I, I'll trust you in where I live, how I live, and in this environment I'm in. And see, that's what really what God wants. When we live out in life, and, and our faith will dictate maybe saying something in a, in a place where it could affect our position at work or, or with our family. When we stand for what God has said faithfully and committedly and and we won't be on the popular side of that agenda. We're, we're trusting God. As we think about the need to know what, what we need to know is who God is. And who are we? When God says something. The gap between when we do it and we don't do it is, is the me- measure of maturity and responsiveness and faithfulness and trust in God. When God says it, that settles it. And we need to be about doing it. The question we all have to face is, are we, are we really in the know? Not, not that we have we ever heard this before, but we've heard most things before. The issue is, are, are we believing in the sufficiency of God in our life? God is almighty. He can cover us. He is our shield. That's who God is. That never changes. Now, how we respond to him, that's in the flux. Do we all, will we always remember we're blessed when we don't feel blessed at the moment? Will, will we decide not to try to change his plans, but follow his plans? Will we really listen to him when he says yes and also when he says no? Will we demonstrate we trust him by obeying him? Let's pray. Father, there's so many different applications in all of our lives and in, in, in what we're going through and who we're going through with. And Father, in the midst of that, you, you want us to live in such a way that your love and, 
and your grace and mercy is demonstrated, but also that, that we are a people that have our complete confidence in you. For some this morning, they might not know you in a personal way, and, and, and the message of the, of the cross is, is available every day. If we don't know you, it comes to that point where we admit our need and turn from our sin. We, we believe that Jesus fully paid the price for our sins and rose again, and we commit by faith to follow Jesus as our Lord, God, and Savior. And, Father, that commitment is simply a prayer way. Father, as we continue to worship you through our giving and through song, might, might you speak into our hearts about people who, who haven't just heard it, but really know it. In Jesus' name we pray.